Across the UK, overnights with Martin Kellner. There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars and a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico you got to be in so yeah. much to see that's where we're going to uh, Campeche in Mexico and uh, a warm welcome to John Bonfilio. John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. Good evening, Martin. And big news to start with, and it's a running story. We've been talking about it over the last few weeks. These are the uh, Colombian children uh, lost in the jungle. Uh, they're no longer lost. They've been found. They have been found. Huge, huge news at this end of things. 40 days in the jungle, surviving the plane crash and then being lost in the jungle for nearly a month and a half. The eldest, 13 years old, we've covered it on your show a couple of times, yeah. nine-year-old, a four-year-old and an 11-month-year-old baby who had his, uh, his first birthday whilst lost in the jungle and they were found today. Um, it's, it has been announced before that they were found and then the authorities backtracked on it, so we have been sent photographs of the rescuers and the children we don't know exactly where they are but we do know that they are there together and clearly this is going to constitute yeah, i mean it already constitutes one of the greatest survival stories of all time unbelievable isn't it and uh, as mark was saying to me a moment ago it's um, it's a film waiting to be made isn't it it's a few films waiting to be yes. made i think uh, for sure no, look, completely unique. Of course, we've said, you know, one of the questions always with this has been, well, because there was a lot of optimism. Even this week, one of the things we were going to cover on your show uh, tonight, Martin, was the optimism in the search before they were discovered today. And the fact that mm. the authorities genuinely believed that they were really, really close to, to finding them. And of course, this gives the truth to, um, to that. But yeah, I mean, one of the, the big question about how they've managed to do it in part is because this uh, this environment, this territory, this landscape was no surprise to the children because they are from an indigenous community and lived in in the jungle anyway. So they knew how to get about uh, build shelters. In fact, one of the um, one of the the objects of hope that was discovered was a, a roughly built shelter about a week ago, which obviously had housed the uh, the children. And yeah, these these skills that they have learned since. Um, since their nascent year, months and years mm. are clearly what's what's pulled them through. And they're totally fine. They are they're dehydrated. Uh, they've got some mosquito bites and they're undernourished. Surprise, surprise. But beyond that, you know, they are totally fine. Yeah, I mean, you say they're undernourished and uh, dehydrated, but they must have found uh, sources of uh, water and uh, or sources that they could drink and uh, some sort of food. So do we know what they've been living on while they've been, you know, this this long period they've been uh, missing uh, for? Do we know what they've been living on? Well, the clues that we that we know about in terms of the search that has been taking place today is sort of half-eaten fruits, wild fruits, from the area that they clearly knew and, and identified. Um, in terms of the, um, the the dehydration, sometimes that's actually to do with salts and not specifically water. Because in those kinds of environments, you can drink a lot, but if you've not got the salts in your body to actually retain the moisture, mm. then it just flushes straight through you. So um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the diet that they would have had definitely won't have helped them to, you know, to retain those uh, that moisture. But basically what, you know, they, what, they survived off is what they already knew and had learned 
to survive off in, you know, from their family um, and and friends and community prior to the prior to the air crash. Yeah. Uh, well, um, some sad news. I mean, that's marvellous news. Um, we uh, segue to some rather sad news, and that's the uh, death of uh, Astrid Gilberto. Um, and we will pay a little bit of a tribute to her later on. Um, and, and at the end of this, we'll play one of her tunes. But um, a huge figure as far as uh, bossa nova music goes. And, um, you know, we all know the girl from uh, Ipanema, which we will play later on, uh, uh, but n not not particularly celebrated in her uh, homeland of Brazil. No, she was. I mean, I, I guess the story is worth retelling because she was a professional samba bossa nova singer in the 50s and the and the 60s in, in Brazil. But she came to fame because in 1964, her husband, Jao Gilberto, and Stan Getz were in the U.S. on a tour, and she'd accompanied them. And the, at the time, the girl from Ipanema was a Portuguese language song. And the U.S. producer wanted to make it a give it crossover appeal to a U.S. audience. So they were looking for anybody in the crew that could actually speak English. And she was the only one. So they got wow. her to sing it. She only received a standard session fee. There were no royalties. And then, of course, the, the song became huge internationally, the English language version of the song, five million copies sold. So so her moment of fame took place away from uh, her homeland, away from Brazil. And that's where soon after that she actually moved to because she broke up from from her husband. So in many ways, she was yeah not forcibly outcast from Brazil. But but the moment of fame and then the subsequent years all took place um, outside of Brazil. For sure, her. Uh, you know, her importance, uh, notwithstanding, as a Latin artist, is is reflected in the fact that she was given a she was awarded a Latin Jazz uh, Lifetime Achievement Award in 1992. She was inducted into the International Latin Music Hall of Fame in 2002, uh, given a Latin Grammy Lifetime, Lifetime Achievement Award in 2008. So it's not as though she hasn't been recognised, but for sure not fated in quite the way that you would expect for somebody who was behind uh, and in such an emblematic song that I'm guessing most people on earth can immediately recognize. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, she's not the girl from Ipanema. I think she's born about 750 miles from that. But I know that because I interviewed the girl from Ipanema, the actual girl from Ipanema, who was a, a Brazilian model. Um, I was doing a piece for the uh, Mail on Sunday in, in Rio, you know, a travel piece, and uh, went to Ipanema and uh, interviewed the girl from Ipanema, so um, which I'll, I'll talk about later when we do the uh, the obit of uh, Astrid Gilberto. But um, yeah, a big um, a big death for you know a, a death that uh, of someone who's very much celebrated by jazz fans. Absolutely. Um, so what was what was Rio like in the nineties? Yeah, it was the 90s, actually, I think. Yeah, it would have been the 90s. Um, she was lovely, actually. I can't remember her full name. Eloise, I think. Eloisa. Um, but I've got it written down and I will um, uh, sort of quote it later on. But uh, yeah, it was like exactly as you expect Ipanema Beach uh, to be. And, you, you know, you find yourself humming the song, you know, tall and tan, etc., etc. Marvellous. But um, yeah, tell me, well, let's move on from Astrid Gilberto. And we will play uh, one of her songs in a moment. Uh, but tell me about the, uh, the Mexican Petrol Congress, which is actually wow. in your home 20. It's there, Campeche, where you are. 
It's been a week, Martin. It's been a week. Petrol fever has descended on Campeche. Campeche is presenting a version of itself full of music, art, plays, uh, designed to impress the petroleum sector and all the financing that it brings uh, with it. This is all because uh, since AMLO, Andrés Manuel López Obrador, the, the president, the current president, came to power, one of the things, one of his signature policies was to decentralize all the ministries from Mexico City. So a bit like moving the BBC to Manchester, mm. he moved the ministries everywhere else outside of Mexico City. And petrol came to Ciudad del Carmen, just southwest of here, came to the Gulf. And of course, Campeche is also on the Gulf. So it was Campeche's turn. It still is Campeche's turn uh, in the in the spotlight. And uh, around about 10,000 petrol functionaries have descended on the city and the city has gone. Uh, all dollar signs in the eyes uh, during the course of the last week. Roads shut down, police absolutely everywhere. I guess contextually it's worth, you know, it, it makes some sort of sense because AMLO, the president, has really banked or, or put everything behind the petroleum sector uh, in Mexico, which is the fourth largest producer in the Western Hemisphere after Canada, the USA and Venezuela. And get this, a third of all tax revenues in Mexico come from oil. So this is what we have been experiencing this week. Everybody trying to find themselves a, uh, um, a young uh, petrol professional to move out of Campeche with. Yeah, and uh, of course, you know, all the talk about fossil fuels and who's going to kill us all. Um, I presume there's none of that. No, actually, um, AMLO speaks of petrol and the petrol reserves that, Me that Mexico has in much the same way as Bolsonaro used to speak about the Amazon, basically saying it's ours. Don't you dare tell us what we can do or not do with our own resources. And he's yeah, putting everything behind petroleum exploration and develop extraction uh, and development. Um, at the moment. And that's, uh, you know, that's one of his signatures. Um, all crazily, uh, a few uh, months ago in one of his morning press conferences, he actually uttered the line that the environment doesn't pay any rent. Well, fair enough. He's got a point, And I suppose uh, sympathy from a lot of people. Um, just but not everybody. Um, on Lionel Messi, finally, um, he's statistically, uh, the, you know, the, all the argument, who's the greatest of all time? Is it Lionel Messi? Is it Cristiano Ronaldo? Uh, well, the, statistically, it is Lionel Messi, and now he's moving to Inter Miami. How has that been, um, been received in his native uh, Argentina? Well, that's a controversial statistic, because I always was, I was always pretty sure that Phil Neville was amongst the top <laughs> statistical footballers on, yes. on earth but but we'll go we'll go with that we'll go with that survey look argentina of course you know having won the uh, the world cup uh, and adores messi now uh, more than ever i mean interestingly they never really adored him before because he didn't wear his heart on his sleeve in the mm, same no, way as right. maradona you know argentines argentine public likes their footballers passionate committed emotional real figures and actually it's almost uh, i think uh, true that they love Messi now, not so much because he won the World Cup, which is of course huge, but actually because he actually showed, he actually wore his heart on his sleeve during mm. this World Cup campaign, and, and he was, they were shouting at people, he was gathering people, he was leading from the uh, from the front. As regards Inter Miami, what uh, the Argentines wanted above all else was for Messi 
will want him to go back at some point and play probably for Newell's old boys and for them to get uh, a sight of him in the flesh before you know before he retires a little bit like Luis Suarez did last year mm. uh, with Nacional so uh, they're a little nonplus the public is a little nonplus a little bit surprised that with the two main choices of Saudi Arabia uh, money and Barcelona heart that he actually chose into Miami but uh, you know that's the way that it is and, and at the moment you know in a way I think with an Argentine public uh, Lionel Messi can do no wrong yeah absolutely well we're going to finish with that piece of music um it's called take me to Aruanda. we used to play that a lot on jazz fm uh, years ago um do you know off the top of your head Aruanda where it is is it presumably somewhere in brazil uh, presumably I, I that would be one of those quiz questions i can do hawaiian flags i can't do <laughs> location of Aruanda in brazil that's a great shame. The Hawaiian flag question is a good one. Um, you know, the, the, it's the, the one that's got the uh, the Union flag um, on there because uh, what was it? it? Used to be the Sandwich Islands or something. It used to be uh, used to yeah, be, it used ours. To be the Sandwich Islands. Yep, UK dependency. Years ago, but there you go. But you're not going to help us with Arrowendo. I'm not sure. I should Google it while the uh, while the tune's uh, playing. And um, what marvellous news that you brought us tonight about those uh, Colombian children, which I presume uh, in the morning we'll, uh, we'll read about in our papers um, and see on the TV. Uh, thanks ever so much, uh, John. Do appreciate it. And, and we'll talk again next week. If I haven't fallen in love with a, with a Mexican uh, petrol professional <laughs> and swanned off into the Pacific sunset. Yeah, well, hopefully not. It's an important part of the show. We'll, we'll really miss it if you do. Uh, so, uh, in fact, I won't be here next week. It'll be somebody else talking to you, I think, uh, next week. Uh, but I'll be back the week after that. Um, so here we go. Uh, Astrid Gilberto. <laughs> Tudo que é triste vai, vai, vai pra Ruanda Vai, vai, vai pra Ruanda Vem, vem, vem de Luanda Deixa tudo que é triste Vai, 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 vai pra Ruanda Silver stars on the hilltop, take me to Aruanda. Lots of fish in the stream there, lots of time just to dream there. Golden sun in the valley, take me to Aruanda. Take me to Aruanda. 